Please turn your Bibles to 1 John with me. 1 John chapter 5. We're kind of nearing the end of, of John's epistle here. 1 John chapter 5. As you turn there, just a special announcement for those of you who may be newer to our church. After this service, we're going to be having a, a fellowship for, for newcomers. Uh, pizza is provided across the hallway there, so love to, to come and I'd love for you to come if you're, you're newer to the church and get a chance to get to know you. As we always say, it's, it's hard to, to talk in the hallways between services and things like that, and we've all got things to do. So just please uh, consider coming there. There's going to be several leaders of the church there and staff, and just love to love to get to know you better, be able to, to fellowship together. That's after this service, just right across the hallway. First John chapter 5, we've been looking at... Uh, couple weeks off and here in first john 5 we've just talked about god's testimony concerning who jesus is and john begins to to wrap up this uh, epistle with some words about the purpose of why he's written remember this whole book has been about fellowship he's going to talk about fellowship with god through prayer and so some very important things for us to consider together this morning if you would stand if you are able to in honor of god as we read his word together first john Chapter 5, John writes this, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his his word this morning. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we don't understand even the words fully that we've just read, but but we believe them. We don't know how this, this works completely, but we believe you when you tell us that you you hear us when we pray. We have confidence that when we ask things that are according to your will, that you will answer us, you'll hear us, and, and we'll have those things. And, and Father, there are things uh, that you desire us to pray for that we are not praying. Forgive us and help us to pray as we ought. For those who are hurting this morning, I pray that they would receive a special measure of your grace to know you, to understand you, to live in, in light of your glorious inheritance. Pray for us this, this Christmas season, this month, as we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus, the, his life, his, his death, his resurrection, and the eternal life we have in him. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. M.C. Hammer was a prominent rapper and hip-hop artist in the late 80s, early 90s. Those of you who may be around my age can remember some of his songs. Uh, MC Hammer was not uh, perhaps the most prolific theologian, not like some of our uh, hip-hop artists today who are Christians, but MC Hammer had a song that came out in 1990 that that does contain some theological truth in it. In fact, the phrase that I think is very appropriate for what we're talking about this morning in a song called Pray. 
he said, uh, we've got to pray just to make it today. And he is absolutely right in that, right? We've got to pray just to make it today. M.C. Hammer, by the way, also had a, a great song on parenting called You Can't Touch This, but that's, that's a different, uh, different message. But you've got to pray. that there, Prayer is an essential part of the Christian's life. And if we're going to live the life that God has called us to live, prayer has to be a, a part of that life. And apart from prayer, that life can't be lived. Now, I think that most of us in here, I would hope all of us in here who would profess to be believers would say that we agree with that statement, that we would agree with the statement that prayer is essential to live the life that God has called us to live, and that apart from prayer, we can't live that type of life. I think those of us who are Christians would all affirm that. And yet at the same time, I would imagine that if I were to talk to you, who would profess to be believers, and and ask you about your prayer life, you would ask me about my prayer life, we would find that our prayer life doesn't match up perfectly with what we say we believe. We would say that we believe that prayer is absolutely vital, necessary to live the Christian life, and yet if we examined our lives carefully, we would say we don't pray as we ought. Why is that? I think there are a lot of reasons that we could talk through, but maybe one reason is this. I'm just kind of laying some of this stuff out here. This is stuff that, that I've struggled with in my Christian life, and, and I'm guessing that, that many of you have struggled with as well. Just just being laying it on the table for each other this morning. I think of a situation from, from 2009, just as an example of why sometimes I think we don't pray as we ought. 2009, this time, and five years ago, I can't believe it's, it's been that long, but many of you remember this. You remember the, the little situation with the little Dax lock, right? You know, my, my family and I were in Texas last week, and we came back after Thanksgiving. We kept pulling in the neighborhood, and there's all these, these Christmas lights up, and I can't see Christmas lights anymore without thinking of, of little Dax. Remember, he was the two-year-old in 2009 who, who passed away at the end of December, and but, but not before our community and and people across the nation and apart, across the world uh, put up Christmas lights for Dax and took pictures of them so you could see, see Christmas lights one last time because he loved them so much. Well, people across our community and the nation and world were not just putting up Christmas lights for Dax. What else were they doing? They were praying for him, right? I can remember the first time I, I read the story of, of Dax on on my computer, and I can remember my, my eyes just, just filling with tears and just beseeching the Lord to, to heal this, this little two-year-old guy. And, and, and I know many of you felt the same way. And yet, what happened? That, that prayer wasn't answered in the way that I would have desired it to have been answered. And so I would suggest, and, and I don't know if this resonates with you or not, but I would suggest that, that many of us don't pray the way that we ought because we're not convinced that prayer actually works, that it's effective, that it actually does anything. Really. And, and some of us may, may say, well, a situation like, like Dax, we, we know that that wasn't uh, God's, God's will in that situation, and, and so 
you know, God didn't answer the prayer that we wanted to in that way. But, but I can think of other examples as well. And I'm sure if I went around the room and we talked to each of you about things you prayed for, it wouldn't take us very long to find specific examples of things you've prayed for that, that it would seem that God hasn't answered. And look at what is promised here in verse 14 and verse 15. The, the promise is very audacious. It says, we have confidence that if we ask, Anything according to his will, he hears us. And so I can think of, of things that I've prayed that I, I feel like I can be confident or according to his will, that it doesn't seem like he's answered sometimes. Maybe there's been a situation in my life where I, I've prayed that God would deliver me from a, a certain temptation or a certain attitude or, or action or, or relationship struggle. And it seems like it would be absolutely according to God's will for me not to, to struggle with this attitude or this action or this, this, this relational struggle. And certainly that's according to God's will for me to be sanctified in that area. And, and it hasn't happened, it would seem to me. You see, this isn't some abstract theological problem this morning when we're talking about prayer, is it? This is an issue that is vital to our lives, and we've been called by God to be confident in prayer. And I would, I would imagine that many of us in here aren't confident in prayer. When it comes to praying for someone who is ill or someone who is, who is not walking with the Lord whom we love desperately, I'm ima- I imagine I could spend time talking with each of you and hear just, just cries of the heart saying, I've prayed for some things and it seems like God hasn't answered them. I don't know if prayer is truly effective. I don't have confidence that if I pray, God will hear and I'll, and I'll have those things that I'm requesting. This has been a struggle in my Christian life. Here's what I know. Because God's word tells me. Here's what I'm confident of. You must pray. There are things that God desires to be true of your life, that this morning are not true because you haven't been faithful in prayer in them. There are things that God desires to do in your friend's life, and, and those things aren't happening because you and I haven't been faithful in prayer in that area. There are things that God desires to do in your child's life that aren't happening because you're not praying. What I want you to see as we go through this text is that you and I must pray with confidence that God answers prayer. In fact, praying with confidence that God answers prayer is the only way that we could be successful in living as God would have us live. And there's going to be some tensions that you and I talk through as we, we look at this passage. But what I hope you see is that that you and I must pray with confidence. Praying with confidence, approaching God with confidence, is the only way, the only way that we will be successful at living the Christian life. We're going to talk about some of the things, how to to handle some of the problems when it comes to prayer. We're not going to give a full-orbed understanding of every aspect of prayer. You know, think of... uh, all the elements that are involved in praying. There's, there's adoration, we've talked about that, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. There's the issue of God's sovereignty. And prayer. We're not going to get into all of those things this morning, but really we're just going to talk about one aspect of prayer, and that's, that's asking God for things, what we call supplication. 
How do I ask God for things with confidence that he will answer me, that he will hear me, that I will have those things? Three things. Three things that must be true of us if we're to ask God for things with confidence. Here's the first thing. Number one, number one, know you have eternal life. Here's what John writes here in verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And if you've read the Gospel of John, you may remember that as John wrote the Gospel of John, as he came to the end of the Gospel of John, he concluded with a purpose statement in John chapter 20, verse 31. John would conclude the Gospel of John saying, These things are written to you who believe that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And he ends the epistle that he's written, this letter that he's written, in much the same way. Hey, here's the purpose statement. Here's why I've written all these things that I've written so far. I've written these things so that you who believe, he's writing to believers here, those who believe in the name of the Son of God, may know that you have eternal life. Those of you who have recognized that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believe that, I've, I've written these things so you can know that you have a relationship with God. Remember, we've, we've talked about all the first John is about authentic fellowship, how you can know you truly have fellowship with God and how you can know that you truly have fellowship with, with other believers. That's why John wrote First John. And now, as he begins to conclude this epistle and talk about prayer, he says it's important that you know that you have eternal life. Why? Why is it important for a person to, to know that they have eternal life? Why is it important for a person to have confidence that they have eternal life? Do you remember what we said about eternal life a few weeks ago? We said that a person has, remember what John wrote earlier, just a couple of verses, he, he says... This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. It's in Jesus Christ. Whoever has the Son has this eternal life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Remember, we we said, sometimes we think of eternal life like this. Sometimes we think, okay, I'm I'm here at this moment in time, and at this moment of time, I, I place my faith in Jesus Christ. I trust in him alone for my salvation, based upon his work on the cross, dying for my sins. At that moment, I receive eternal life, and, and the eternal life just means that I, I have this great quantity of life. I, I live for a really long time, forever and ever. That's sometimes how we perceive of eternal life. And what I suggested to you last time we talked together, two weeks ago, is that that's, that's, not, a, that's not a fullness of understanding what eternal life is, right? Eternal life isn't just a great quantity of life. It also has to do with quality of life. Just living a really long time isn't that great of a deal if your life is kind of mediocre. Listen to how Jesus describes eternal life. First John 3.14, John wrote, We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And so eternal life is the opposite of of death. John 4.14, Jesus would say, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In Jesus Christ, in 
we, we have eternal life, and this eternal life is, is abundance of life. It's, it's satisfaction. It's, it's fullness of being. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal and destroy and kill, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it in abundance, eternally, of abundant life, fullness of life. And remember what we said last time was eternal life just doesn't mean just quantity of life. It means quality of life. And we, we saw that eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we remember we said, he's not just the means to an end. We don't just say, okay, I'm going to believe in Jesus so I can go to heaven and, and, and have a, a happy time in heaven with, with family or with, with uh, you know, long lost relatives or be really wealthy or run fast or do, do, do all those things. That's not That's not what Jesus Christ is. He isn't just a means to an end. He's not just a a way we can become happy. Jesus is is the end in itself. He is happiness. He is fullness of joy. I, I don't just come into relationship with Jesus so I can get to the good stuff. Jesus Christ is the good stuff. He is the treasure. Eternal life, fullness of life, is found in and only in Jesus John is telling us. So, how does that relate to prayer? How, how does that, that matter? Here's why this is so important. And, and remember, all, what, what's all of 1 John about? Fellowship. Knowing that I'm in fellowship with God. Authentic, true fellowship. Knowing that I have eternal life means that I I know that I'm in fellowship with God. And because I I know that I'm in fellowship with God, prayer is a means of communicating with a person with whom I'm in fellowship. Does that make sense? It's important for me to know that I have eternal life because as I know that I have eternal life, I know that I'm in relationship with God, I'm in fellowship with God, and prayer isn't just some some magical formula I say to get what I want. Prayer is about a dialogue within the context of a relationship, and not just any relationship. A relationship in which there is trust and assurance of fellowship. Imagine you and I had, had never met before never spend any time together. And, and you invited me over, or I, say I invited you over to my house, and we've never really had a, a deep conversation before, and you showed up at my house, and you came in, and you said, hey, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm late. I was just on the, the phone with my, my dad, and um, man, I really hate that guy. We were yelling at each other the whole way here. And uh, my wife and I, we just had a terrible argument. We can't stand each other. I don't even know if we're going to stay married the next four weeks, much less a lifetime. Man, my, uh, and they just kind of started spilling all this stuff. It'd be a little awkward. As most conversations with me are. But, but this would be especially awkward. There's no context of relationship to share that that depth of information with. 
But imagine you and I had been in a relationship for, for a long period of time. Our relationship had, had, had stood the test of time and we'd, we'd gone through circumstances together. You would have, I would hope, a high level of trust in me and, and sharing deep things with me would be easy. What we see here about eternal life is John, John's going to talk about prayer and approaching God with confidence. And the reason you and I have confidence, one of the reasons, kind of the foundational reason here, is because we know that we're in fellowship with him. We know we have relationship with God. And so as we know that we have relationship with God, we enter into his presence. Boldly we approach the eternal throne, as the hymn says. And we make our requests known to God. Knowing that I have eternal life is essential for me to approach God with confidence. Those who have eternal life are in fellowship with God. They know that God loves them, and they know that God desires that which is best for them. So how do I approach God with confidence? It begins with a knowledge that I have eternal life. It begins with a knowledge that I have a relationship with God. And how do I have a relationship with God? By believing in Jesus Christ. That's what John tells us. Okay, so how do I pray with confidence? Well, it begins by knowing that I have eternal life. What's the second thing we see here? See it in verse 14. We pray for anything according to his will. Verse 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, there's four things that I want you to see here in verse 14. The first thing I want you to see in verse 14 Here's is the word and. It's in uh, some of the translations may not have it, but it exists there in the original text. This word and, and this is the confidence. In other words, all that I've said here about eternal life, John is saying, relates to this idea of having confidence. We've already talked about that. So that's the first thing, that what John is saying here about praying for anything according to his will is related to us knowing that we have eternal life. That, that's the first thing we see. The second thing I want you to notice about first verse 14, is this word confidence. He says, and, based on what we know about having eternal life, and this is the the confidence. That word confidence literally means freedom of speech. It it means to to, to have the, the freedom to communicate. Boldness. This is the boldness that we have. Because we know that we are in relationship with God, the second thing we see, we see here is we, we know we have, we have confidence as we approach God. In fact, you could, you could see here in the text that to fail to have confidence as you approach God would be to be in disobedience. Here's a third thing we see in verse 14. He says, this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything, the, the third thing that I draw your attention to is, is this word anything. It's incredibly extensive, isn't it? It's very broad. It means that there's no aspect of our life that we can't bring to God in prayer. There's no relationship that we have that we can't talk to God about. There's no element of life that exists that we, that we can't bring to God in prayer. There's no struggle that we're going through, no, no need that we have that we can't take to God in prayer. It's, it's expansive. It's, it's anything. In fact, again, to fail to bring aspects of our life to God in prayer is to be in disobedience to him. Okay, now, here's the fourth thing, and and here's where for me uh, I've struggled, okay? So, it's connected to having eternal life. That's the first thing you see in verse 14. It's 
It's, there's this idea of confidence. There's this idea of expansiveness. And, and then here's the fourth thing I see in the verse, and, it, and it, it perplexes me sometimes, or it has perplexed me. If we ask anything, and, and then here's the fourth thing, according to his will. According to his will. Now here's the problem. Sometimes it seems like this phrase, according to his will, becomes an exception that is so great, it renders the anything meaningless. Does that make sense? Hey, pray for anything you want. God God will hear you, if, if it's according to his will. And sometimes I think we hear that according to his will, and we think, well, that's meaningless then. Doesn't really do anything. There's no real promise there, it would seem. I told you uh, two weeks ago that I was uh, going to go Black Friday shopping with my wife. I wanted to spend some time with her, and so I was going to, for you know, one of the first times, brave Black Friday. I survived, but apparently Black Friday now means Thursday, like Thursday, and so a little bit of a bait and switch, but still, good time, good time. Great time. But I, I noticed on a lot of these, these Black Friday deals that the, the, the small print renders the deal almost meaningless. There, there's this picture of this amazing, you know, get a, this amazing computer, but then you kind of read about the, the specs of the computer, and it's like their, their, their base model. There's no bells and whistles, and there's like two of them. I was in a line, uh, I was in a line outside Best Buy, and um, they, they kind of told, you know, I guess, Five people got the deal already, and there were like people just angry in line. I can't believe I wasted my time, and you know, just all this sorts of stuff. Is this phrase, according to his will, a bait and switch by God? Hey, pray, 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 and if I'm going to do it, I'll do it. No. That's not the right way to understand what according to his will means. Here's what we know. This is what I believe to be absolutely true. There are very real things that are not happening in your life right now because you are not praying. James 4.2. What does James say? He says, you don't have because you don't ask. There's some things you don't have right now because you haven't asked God for them. Uh, Jesus would say in Mark fourteen thirty eight, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There, there are some of us who have entered into, into temptations that we had no business entering into because we weren't faithful in, in praying that God would, would, would keep us from some things. There are some of us who are separated from God. Maybe we have eternal life, and yet there's this this aspect of a relationship with God that is not as it ought to be because we haven't confessed sins. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? If, it's conditional, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and yet we haven't done that, we haven't prayed that, and so there's distance in our relationship with God that ought not be there. There are things that are not true 
of your life because you haven't been faithful in prayer. There are things that are not true of your friends' lives because you and I have not been faithful in prayer. I think of the, the, the children who were, who were up here singing, and as, as they were singing, uh, just, you know, the, the stage was, was filled with them. And as I was, I was sitting there, just, just looking at these children, I thought, what an incredible what an incredible stewardship God has given our church. And I just, as I was watching them saying, God, please help these children to continue to worship you forever. It's a responsibility you and I all have. There are things that are not true of your life because you haven't been faithful in prayer. There are things that are not true of the lives of the children in our church, perhaps, because we haven't been faithful in prayer. Prayer is real. It's effective. It affects the way that God acts. That's a truth of Scripture. Amos chapter 7 is, is a very powerful illustration of this. Uh, the Lord is, is uh, preparing judgment and he shows Amos, the prophet Amos, this, this vision of a, of a coming uh, form of locusts that are going to come and, and devour the crops. And Amos says this, he, he sees this vision and he cries out, Lord, please forgive, how can Jacob stand? He is so small and the text tells us that the Lord, it says, relented. In other words, there was a, a change of course of action from a human perspective because of Amos's prayer. Amos prayed in such a way that affected the way that God acted. That's a biblical truth. You say, now Daniel, isn't it true that God is sovereign and the end is always going to be what God is ordained? Well, yeah, of course. But what we see is that God is not just ordained to the ends, but he is ordained to the means by which he brings about those ends. And our prayers are a part of that. They're essential to that. Another pa- same passage in Amos. The Lord is preparing a, a judgment by fire. And Amos says, Lord, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. The Lord relented and said, this also shall not be. Because Amos prayed, the Lord declared that something would not be. So that brings up a very important question that, that I have. If it's true that, that prayer is real and the prayer affects how things act and that I have to pray, I can pray for anything, but I have to pray according to God's will, what's, what's the question then? What's the question? How do I pray according to God's will? How, how can I pray in that way? Let, let me give you four thoughts. Pray, we're praying for anything according to his will. Let me, let me give you four thoughts. Number one, number one, de- delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. How, how can I pray according to God's will? How can I make sure that what I'm praying is, is, is in line with what God would have me pray? Delight in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And, and so often when, when I hear people, or I hear myself sharing prayer requests, you know, I pray for this or pray for this situation. The things in and of themselves aren't bad. They're not praying for bad things. But as they pray for a job situation, as, as they pray for healing maybe in a certain person's life, or as they pray for the, the, them in parenting, I don't hear this from, from myself and from others. I don't hear a, a delight in God. What I hear is, help God do this thing so that I can have delight in life. I told this story many years ago, but 
whenever Whitney and I had just gotten married, I came on staff at a, a church in, in the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and, and the senior pastor invited me and some other people over to his house right after I got hired. And Whitney and I pull up to the, the house there where he lives, and we're getting out of the car, and I, I look at Whitney, and I said, just jokingly, I said, hey, is, is this a surprise party for me to, to welcome me on staff? And, and what she said next has been the subject of discussion for 15 years since. But I thought she said, I can't believe you guessed it. That's right. She thinks she said anything but that. Said, I just said something, you know. If I did say that, I was being sarcastic. So we get out of the car, and I'm thinking, this is a surprise party for Daniel. We go through the evening, we get back in the car, when he said, how'd you think the evening went? Well, about the surprise part of the evening was rather weak. <laughs> no cake, didn't seem like people were paying all that special attention to me. She was, Daniel, it, it wasn't a surprise party for you. Well, in that case, it was pretty good. Yeah. What do we think prayer is? If prayer is about conforming God to my image of how the universe should be, prayer isn't all that effective. But if prayer is about having a relationship with God, I mean, I have eternal life through Jesus Christ and and life is in his son, and prayer is about delighting in him and part of that aspect of of overflowing and delighting in him is is crying to him and this this relationship that exists, that, that changes prayer completely, right? The idea of an answered prayer becomes something much different we delight in the Lord. An answer to prayer isn't me getting some sort of thing by chanting a magic, magical formula. Delighting the Lord means that, that I'm delighting in his process of, of making me more like his son, Jesus Christ, by whatever means necessary. Second thing is related to this, as we think about how we pray according to God's will. Number two, we, we pray why he has told us to pray. Does that make sense? We pray for the reasons that he's told us to. If we're going to pray according to his will, we can't just pray for the reasons that we want to pray in and of our flesh. We, we pray for the reasons he's told us to pray. Jesus in John fourteen thirteen says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. But listen to the why. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What, what's the purpose of prayer? That God would act in such a way that, that he's glorified through the work of the Son, through the work of the Spirit. So as I enter into prayer, what is my objective? My, my objective isn't that I would be glorified, that, that some other person would be glorified. My, my objective in prayer, as I delight in the Lord, is that I say, I love you, Lord, and, and my desire is that you would be glorified and your name would be magnified through this situation. That's what I'm asking for. Thirdly, not, just do we, not only do we pray why he's told us to pray, we pray what he has told us to pray. Well, I'll tell you, this is where my prayers lack sometimes. This is where my prayers are often so lacking. A few, a few weeks ago, maybe, maybe a month or two ago, on Sunday evening, we, we kind of talked through prayer, and we talked about some examples of biblical prayers. And, and one of the examples we looked at was in, in the book of Ephesians. And sometimes when I'm praying for a person, I might say, uh, God, uh, help, help, uh, help my son be good. 
You might pray, uh, Father, I pray for Daniel. Help him. Thank you. It's a good prayer. But I think it's important for us to look biblically at how God tells us to pray for people or, or what he tells us to pray. Here's just an example from the book of Ephesians, just one example. And we, you should go through Scripture and look at what, how God, how people pray in, in Scripture to God. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, look, uh, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you my remembering you in my prayers, and here's what he prays for them, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. How about this for a prayer? Father, I pray for Daniel. I pray that you would give him wisdom and reveal a knowledge of you to him in this circumstance. He says, and I pray that we'd have the eyes of... the. Uh, Paul says having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his, inglo- of his glorious inheritance in the saints. How about this for a prayer? Father, I, I pray for Daniel as he's going through this time of depression that you would reveal a knowledge of who you are to him and that he would think about the glorious inheritance that he has as one of your saints. How's that? for a prayer for a person who's in a difficult circumstance. And, and yes, it is absolutely appropriate to, to pray for a person to be healed. But how about in addition to praying for healing for that person, you said, and Father, I pray that as they go through this illness, they would have a greater understanding of you and your character. The eyes of their hearts would be enlightened and they would know the glorious inheritance that awaits them. Because even if a person is healed from this immediate illness, eternity is still on the horizon. How much more effective of a prayer is that to pray? When we pray according to God's will, we delight in him, we pray why he has told us to pray, and we pray what he's told us to pray, and finally we pray how he has told us to pray. We pray how he has told us to pray. That's how we pray according to his will. The how we pray is related to the why we pray. In Scripture, we see that we're to pray with with earnestness. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to pray agonizingly. We're to pray with humility. We're to pray quietly. We're to pray relationally. We're we're to pray in in groups. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name. We're to pray in such a way the glory of God is emphasized and we're brought into a recognition of who God is as we pray how he has called us to pray. As we pray with earnestness, as we pray with fervency, as we, we pray communally, we understand God's glory as he answers our prayers according to his will. How do I pray according to God's will? How do I pray in a way that God will answer? I delight in him and he gives me that delight himself. I pray why he's told me to pray, that he would be magnified, his name would be glorified through the work of his son and and spirit in my life. I pray what he's told me to pray. I pray how he's told me to pray. That's how we pray with confidence. Here's a third thing. Here's a third thing. And it's hard. It's another hard one. This is not an easy passage. Here's verse 15. We see that the third thing is that we know we have what we have asked for. We know we have what we have asked of him. 
Here's what, that's how we pray with confidence. Knowing we've received what we've asked for. And he says, verse 15, if we, if we know that he hears us, and that's what he said in verse 14 at the conclusion, if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked of him. So this is a very audacious promise. It's, it's, it's present tense. Right now we, we have those things we, we've asked him for. The things we've asked him for in, in the past have, have present fruit. And there's other passages that we could look at that have similar promises to them, right? Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 15, 16 He says, whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you if you abide in me. These are very profound promises, very audacious claims that Scripture makes. If you're to pray with confidence, it's important that you believe that God is going to answer your prayer. Do you have any level of confidence like this that God will answer your prayer? If you don't, you're not going to pray. If you do, there might be a fear that he won't. Significant problem, right? Even as we think about prayer, we know that there are very godly people who have prayed things and not received the answer that they would desire. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 7, it's a very interesting passage in in Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah is is, is praying, he's preparing to to pray to God, and and this is what what God tells, tells Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, it's Jeremiah seven seventeen. It says, as Jeremiah prepares to pray, uh, Jeremiah seven six, sixteen. Jeremiah seven sixteen says, "As for you, do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you." Jesus, we know, prays in, in the garden and. Matthew 26, 39, preparing for the cross. And he says, my, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's Matthew 26, 39. So what does it mean? What does it mean? And, and let, me, let me just ask this question before we kind of arrive at an answer. What are some reasons we might not receive what we ask for from God? What are some of the reasons? So here's the situation uh, maybe it's, it's a young mother who has a daughter who's ill, and, and she prays that, that God would, would heal her. And, and what are some of the reasons? I think there's many, right? I think there's many reasons why sometimes God wouldn't answer prayer. Sometimes we just don't know God's plan. 
God has a sovereign plan to, to bring about his glory, and, and we don't know how the different elements, of, when we pray for specific instances, we don't know how those elements are, are fitting into God's overall plan to, to bring glory to him. And that's why in every request that we make, there's this attitude of humility saying, okay, your will be done. I'm praying this according to your will. And so whatever ultimately is going to be according to your plan and bring you glory, that's ultimately what I'm praying. Now here's my specific request in this instance as I think about things from my perspective, God, but I do so with humility. But there's also sometimes some other things at work. And this, this may sound kind of harsh, but, but it's very biblical. <laughs> sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because we ask with the wrong motives. James says that in James 4, 3, you ask and don't receive. Why? Because you've asked wrongly to spend it on your passions and, and not your passion for God. Sometimes it's just, just there's sin in our life in general. Psalm sixty six eighteen, the psalmist says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Sometimes... Another example of that is, is in First uh, Peter 3. Husbands are told uh, to live with their wives in an understanding way, or otherwise your, your, your prayers will be hindered. So sometimes pr- prayers are hindered by our sin. Sometimes it's a lack of faith. We don't approach God with confidence. We don't believe he can do it. We don't believe he will do it. James chapter 1, verse 6 tells us to ask in faith with no doubting. The one who doubts is like a, a wave at the sea, a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person, he says, James 1, 7, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Remember, a person that's approaching God rightly believes in the ultimate purpose of prayer and, and has confidence as they approach God. They, they know they have a relationship with God and they know that, that God desires that which is best for them. And, and so a person who's praying rightly according to God's will trusts in that and God's, God's ability and his, his love. Sometimes, as we, we think about unanswered prayer, sometimes it's an, it's an issue of timing. You, you think about the, the Israelites as they were in bondage in Egypt for hundreds of years and, and how they, they, they prayed for God's deliverance and, and God... God was saying yes, but he had a specific timeline by which he was going to bring that about. And sometimes as we're praying for an event, the timing isn't right in God's sovereign plan. And so it seems like God is saying no, and in reality he's saying yes. Keep praying that. Revelation, remember the end of Revelation? There's that prayer, Lord come. How many hundreds of years have God's people been praying for Jesus Christ to return. It is a a prayer that God will absolutely answer, and yet we are called to continue to pray for that, our Lord's return, the establishment of his kingdom. Sometimes, sometimes God has answered our prayers. He's answered them affirmatively, and we we just don't understand that answer. We don't see it. For example, let's say there's a specific struggle with, with sin that you've had in, in your life. Maybe there's a, a situation with, with a person that you found very perplexing and you pray that, you know, God, I know that how I'm responding to this person is, is sin. Please deliver me from that. And, and your perception is that, that deliverance may mean like um, God changes the way that you feel emotionally about that person or, or God changes that, that would be great, God changes that person and makes them a really nice person or something. Or, or maybe, maybe God just 
takes them someplace else. You know. That doesn't happen. God, I know you want me to be, be sanctified. I know you want me to grow. And you're not dealing with my, my, my emotions still don't feel right toward this person. And, and uh, that person is still kind of a jerk and they're still there in my life. And why haven't you answered this prayer? And, and what has God done? He's been answering that prayer. That person has continued to be a, a catalyst to spur you to beseech the Lord for his daily deliverance and grace in your life. And that God is answering that prayer in ways that you can't even comprehend as you're being sanctified. My, my point is this. We can be confident that we have what we have asked of God that is according to his will. You and I are called to pray with confidence that God will answer our prayers. And in our limited perspective, we can't understand all of the answers that God gives. And yet, we can know these things with confidence. There's a, let me just kind of close with a couple of thoughts. You and I can know with confidence because the one who does know everything has revealed these things to us. The first thing I can know, the first thing I can know is that God is currently at work fulfilling his sovereign plan. A sovereign plan that includes me being conformed to the image of his son. I'm confident of that. I know that God is at work doing that. I know that he is at work bringing about the fulfillment of his plan. I'm confident of that. The second thing I know with confidence, I'm absolutely certain of this, is that my prayers are part of God's accomplishment of his plan. My prayers are vitally necessary for fulfilling God's plan in my life and your life. My prayers, your prayers are part of that. And so the third thing that I'm absolutely positively convinced of is that you and I must pray. That as we pray, delighting in God, praying that God would be magnified and God would be glorified in my life and in your life, that God is answering that prayer. Pray. Pray how God has told you to, what he's told you to, and why he's told you to. Let's pray together now. Father, we do trust in you. We believe in you. We are confident in you that you will do what you have said you will do. Father, forgive us for lack of prayer, and we pray that you would enable us to be faithful in prayer, to, to be diligent in prayer, to be fervent in prayer, both as individuals and as the body of Christ. And, and Father, we do pray this morning for those who are in special need of your grace. We pray that in the circumstances each person in this room finds themselves in, that, that you in that circumstance would enlighten their hearts, that they would have a greater knowledge of you, and that right now, currently, in that situation, you would fill them with the hope of the glorious inheritance that they have as saints for those who have placed their faith and trust in your son, Jesus. And we pray that with confidence you will answer us. In your son, Jesus' name, amen.